has been, you know, an over-proliferation of the amount of parking spaces that we have in our city, and um, this will allow us to really share that parking. From King 5 News, this is The Sound. I'm Ryan Takeo. This episode, Seattle's sweeping parking changes. City Council member Rob Johnson talks about letting new construction decide citywide if they put in parking and how he's reacting to frustration from some neighbors. What I would say generally is that, you know, on-street parking is a public good. It really, it does belong to all of us. And a CEO for an affordable housing nonprofit details how the city's old rules mandated her organization build one and a half million dollars worth of parking spaces it did not need. We built those parking stalls uh, not because we wanted to, we built them because we had to, because land use code required us to build them. I'm Ryan Takeo. This is The Sound. Today's testimony was the last debate in a nearly two-year-long process to change the code. Councilmember Rob Johnson helped to craft the lengthy document, which allows landlords to lease out underutilized off-street parking spaces and lift requirements for tenants to buy or lease a spot in mixed-use developments. It also, in a big change, reduces parking requirements in affordable housing construction and eliminates any stipulation to build parking spots near areas with frequent transit service. I spoke with Seattle City Council member Rob Johnson after the council approved the ordinance. Timing I have to get you out of here is 4.30. You got to catch a bus or something? That's correct. Okay. It says you got to walk the walk. Huh? I've been a transit guy for um, not only all of my adult life, but growing up too. I was the guy that took three buses to get to school one way each, each day. So uh, I, I lived on value of public transportation because I've been doing it most of my life. So tell me about uh, the ordinance that passed today. Yeah, so today's ordinance um, does a couple of things. It um, focuses on uh, the development by our frequent bus routes and light rail stations and allows for that development to not build parking if the developer doesn't want to. It takes the existing parking lots that we have that are owned by private companies and allows them to be more flexible about who gets to park in those uh, parking spaces. And it requires the unbundling of parking leases from residential and commercial buildings so that um, if you're renting an apartment that comes with a parking space, but you don't have a car, you don't have to pay for it. It is a, a huge bill. It's been years in the making. What led you to to picking up and running with this? Yeah, I, so I'm an urban planner by training with a focus on transportation. Um, I happened to study at UCLA where the sort of foremost uh, national expert on parking is a distinguished professor, a guy named Donald Shoup. So I come to this with a real authentic background in public policy as it relates to transportation. And for me, that that um, overlaps nicely with our city's value set. We are a city that values environmental protection. We're a city that values affordability. We're a city that values safety. And one of the things that we know about parking spaces is when you build parking spaces, people will drive there, especially if they are those parking spaces are free. And so um, allowing us to do a better job of managing the five or six million parking spaces we have in the city will help us really make the city safer, uh, reduce our environmental impacts, and uh, reduce uh, housing costs, too. Yeah, I saw your button. It's, did it say, I'm with Shoop? Yes, that's right. It said, I'm with Shoop. And uh, those of us who uh, are followers of his call ourselves Shoopistas. 
Okay. It sounds like a cult. Okay. Pretty, pretty nerdy. Okay. <laughs> so let let's talk about some of the the feedback. Let's call it you've you've gotten from some of the neighborhoods, because um, Councilmember O'Brien talked about some of the frustration that he's been hearing, and I'm wondering about uh, if you'd heard some of the, that same frustration from neighbors who you know like the convenience of of free parking. They, they do, um, and what I would say generally is that, you know, on-street parking is a public good. It really, it does belong to all of us, and in a city as large as ours, uh, nearly one-third of our entire city is paved over for roads and parking. So for me, this is just really a fundamental question about um, how we do a better job of prioritizing that existing right-of-way, and how do we get more access to those uh, parking spaces that are being unutilized? Uh, there was a study in Capitol Hill from a couple of years ago, which uh, everyone in the city knows is a notoriously difficult place to park your car, showed that um, as many as a third of the parking spaces inside buildings on Capitol Hill were not used overnight. That shows me that we've got a lot of available parking supply we just need to be- do a better job of managing that supply and marrying it up with the existing demand. So basically, you have these apartment complexes where the renters might live in a central location. They might not have a car. Their parking spot that goes along with their apartment is not being used. And with this ordinance passing, that that apartment complex could sell it to someone else. They could lease it to somebody else. That's right. Or, um, you know, I represent the Eastlake neighborhood. In Eastlake, there are several large commercial buildings, office buildings, that have a lot of heavy parking during the day, but that sit absolutely empty at night. Um, you know, there are as many as three or 400 of those spaces in the Eastlake neighborhood. And Eastlake is another place where it's notoriously very difficult to find a parking spot at night, but there are literally hundreds of parking spaces in the neighborhood that sit empty at night. It's an, it, we right now, uh, as of this morning, does not allow for those businesses to work with uh, other local businesses or the neighborhood to rent those parking spaces overnight. The legislation we just passed changes that to allow for businesses to legally rent those spaces out to other people, uh, which will hopefully really take existing parking and reuse it more than once a day, which is part of the goal. So understanding that, that people who would be listening to this don't just live in Seattle, they might be trying to come to Seattle, and I hear when I'm out kind of in the the suburbs and doing stories that people are like, ah, there's too much traffic in Seattle, too much, uh, uh, too many parking issues, not enough parking, things like that. So it, it it's not convenient for them to come down to Seattle. I'm just wondering what concern do you have as far as like economic impact? Because it looks like from your previous comments that you think this will be a positive economic impact. Can you... Walk me through that. Sure. You know, um, nearly 70% of the folks that come to downtown Seattle every day do it in something other than a car. So we have intentionally invested a whole lot of support and uh, infrastructure to get people to and from the city in something other than driving alone. Um, and that's intentionally reflected in the way that you see the city. We are, we are putting more and more resources into transit. We're putting more, dedicating more of our right-of-way for transit, um, and that's because we're a city that cares about those issues around climate change. Transportation is the number one source of greenhouse gas emissions 
in the city of Seattle and in Washington State. If we really believe climate change is real, we have to provide more incentives to get people out of their cars and into public transportation. We also, as a city, know that we build somewhere between seven and eight parking spaces for every car in the city. So for those folks that are feeling frustrated by having to drive around because they can't find a parking spot uh, exactly in front of the restaurant that they're trying to go to, we need to open up more of those hidden parking spaces that are going unused in the city so that those folks can get access to it. That's what today's legislation is really all about, to try to make it a lot easier and a, and a lot um, um less expensive for folks to park in the city, um, especially for those who don't have cars, but for those who do have cars, to give them a lot more choices than they've got today. Uh, so it, it makes it less, less expensive, but not if they would have had free parking. Uh, if you're finding anybody in the city that's got free parking, I'd be really surprised. Um, you know, the, uh, the sort of universality of a lot of the folks that I know who are working downtown in particular are not getting free parking. Right, right. Um, a lot of the folks who are coming downtown to shop are not getting free parking. Um, uh, you know, very few folks that I know of in the city are um, are getting free parking. And, and the legislation that we adopted today applies to most of the sort of residential neighborhoods of the city of Seattle. You know, downtown Seattle has been free from minimum parking requirements since the early 1980s. So um, there, there, uh, there's been a lot of forethought by a lot of city planners for a long time about transforming our city to make it more focused on moving people and less about moving cars. I'm just wondering if you think that this is doing enough to actually get cars off the road because some people, they don't want to lose their car. They will like the convenience of it. You know, for for the folks who um, choose to own a car, you know, I think that there are a lot of available options for you. You know, as I mentioned today, I know a lot of folks who own cars uh, and have a driveway and a garage, but they choose not to park that car in their driveway or in their garage because uh, they use their garage for storage or for, um, you know, uh, other things. And they use their driveways for, you know, camping out and putting up lawn chairs. And and we, uh, we don't have to penalize those folks for what could be infrastructure that could be available for their cars. We allow them to park on the street like anybody else. Uh, I've got three little kids. You know, I've got twins that are seven, and I've got a daughter who's four and a half. And, you know, we use the car to go to Costco, and we don't have a garage or a driveway. And sometimes we have to park a block or two away from our house. And uh, sometimes it's rainy, and sometimes it's cold, and sometimes I have to make multiple trips back to the car to get the stuff from Costco. And that's life in a big city. Um, and we, uh, I think, you know, with a lot of intention, don't want to ask folks who don't have a car to subsidize those folks who do, because that's what we're doing when we're requiring developers to build parking um, around frequent transit service, particularly affordable housing developers. Uh, what about for market rate apartments? So let's say construction costs go down because market rate um, apartments, they they look at the numbers and they say, oh, we don't need the, the parking spaces. So they save that money. Are, are renters there? Uh, are, are you expecting them to see uh, any lower rent? Because, you know, I, I, I guess I'd be skeptical of that. You know, uh, what we know is that their um, residual land value, you know, has uh, a real impact here. And if your residual land value, because you're not required to build parking 
uh, is lower, you're going to rent those units for less than what it would have been if your residual land value is higher because you're required to build parking. And remember, this legislation doesn't mandate any parking requirements. That's what we were requiring before. We were saying, as a developer, you have to build a minimum number of spaces. And when we looked at that minimum and we said, we're making developers build a minimum number of parking spaces nearby frequent transit service, other cities are going the opposite direction. They're setting maximums. A developer, and you may not build any more than this number of spaces. Or in the case of Paris, they're banning the construction of new parking altogether. So what we're doing is we're letting the market to decide what the, they think is the right amount. And what we've seen in the places where we've had this legislation in place for the last five or six years is that 80 to 85% of the buildings that are being constructed still have parking in them. So developers are still building parking. Some are choosing not to. And um, we're saying that the market should decide. The last thing I'll, I'll bring up was uh, part of the, the arguments that Councilmember uh, Herbold brought up, and that was about the, the gig economy and people, especially, um, you know, possibly lower income people or people looking to uh, supplement their, their income to, for instance, stay in their house uh, using Uber or Lyft. She was making the, the argument that this might be impacting their kind of way of life sort of thing. What, what's the response to that? You know, again, I think that this is really about prioritization. For us as a city, there are folks who absolutely need to drive every day, either because it's their job, you know, they they uh, work as an Uber or Lyft driver, or they work um, delivering uh, for UPS or, um, uh, or other folks. And we need to prioritize those folks. But there are plenty of folks in the city that are still driving to work um, that don't need to. Um, and... This is an opportunity for us to really prioritize those parking spaces that exist and make sure that the folks who need to have access to them can. I mean, again, fundamentally, we're not requiring a developer to do anything. We're just eliminating um, minimums. And we're also creating a more flexible environment where um, for those folks who may live in a neighborhood and they don't realize there's a bunch of parking that is being unutilized either on nights or on the weekends, let's get them access to those parking spaces so that people feel um, like they have to drive around a lot less and they feel less stressed out about where they're going to park um, in their neighborhood. So I think that this is you know, really common sense approach to what has been you know, an over-proliferation of the amount of parking spaces that we have in our city. And um, this will allow us to really share that parking as a community resource much more equitably than we have right now. All right, Council Member, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ryan. Seattle City Council Member Rob Johnson. Now we'll talk to Susan Boyd. She's CEO of Bellwether Housing. It's an affordable housing nonprofit with 32 properties in Seattle. So we are about to finish construction and open a building in the South Lake Union neighborhood. It's actually just immediately north of Gaylor on Dexter Avenue. And it happens to be at the end of the zone for which it is right across the street from the end of the zone for which no parking is required. So this building, we were required to build parking in. It is on Dexter Avenue, right right next to like what is I think the busiest bicycle corridor in the whole city. 
plenty of transit, but we happened to be right outside the boundary. And so we had to build parking and, and those parking cells were very, very expensive to construct. So I've seen a couple numbers throwing, uh, floating around like $30,000 or something like that per parking space. Is that is that legitimate? Is that a real that number? Is, that's legitimate, yep. Uh, and those, those are numbers from, those are, that's probably what these cost. And if you load them up with, you know, a land allocation value, the cost to engineer, the cost to construct, um, all of that. That's that's about a kid, that's at least thirty thousand a stall, um, and that's in twenty sixteen dollars. Um, I the numbers I've been hearing from new estimates that we're doing for buildings in the pipeline is more along the lines of fifty thousand dollars a stall. Hmm. Well, let me be clear about what happened at our building anchor flats. We built those parking stalls. Uh, not because we wanted to, we built them because we had to, because land use code required us to build them. We would not, we would probably have not built any parking in that building had we not been required to, had we not been just across the street from the the boundary that, uh, outside of which we had to build parking, inside of which we did not. So that's, that's why that's why we built any parking at all in that building. For two reasons, it's valuable for us to eliminate or greatly reduce the amount of parking that we're required to build. One is that every dollar that goes into a parking stall is money that could be put into more housing units. We don't, we don't generally get income from parking. Um, tenants can't afford to pay that on top of what they pay for rent. Uh, so there's no there's no additional revenue that comes to us uh, for that parking. Um, so reducing the cost of building uh, is important for affordable housing. The second reason is that uh, you know the less cars that are around, the easier it is for all of us to get around. There are huge environmental impacts to building parking to uh, living with all these cars on the road um, and you know we're focused on having uh, a livable community where the opportunities that are in this city are available to everyone that has a lot to do with affordable housing it has a lot to do with being able to move around the city as well how do you think you might approach this differently from because uh, you're on the nonprofit side than maybe a, a market rate builder so we approach this differently than a market rate builder would because we gener- generally do not charge for our parking. Uh, our tenants are paying what they can afford to pay for their housing costs. Um, in, uh, that's how our rents are established. So charging more for for parking is uh, would make housing costs unaffordable to them. So we don't charge for parking where a market rate uh, builder might say, you know what, I can get more for my unit if parking is included, or I can get enough rent from my parking unit to pay for the cost to construct the parking. That's just not a an assessment that makes sense in our world. I imagine there was a time where it was necessary or thought useful to have parking well i would say that light rail has made a huge difference in uh 
the need to, to have a car. Um, so people can definitely access many jobs um, that they couldn't access before quite easily through light rail. Um, so transit-oriented development has always been a focus of Bellwether, and uh, now building around these light rail stations um, has been an increased focus for us. Um, I can't tell you exactly when the tide turned uh, in any other way, but I think light rail uh, is a good marker for that. There is a real tension in us. Although although the cost of parking is burdensome, it's, it is difficult to make a decision to eliminate parking completely in, in buildings that are affordable to low-wage workers because many of our low-wage workers are dependent on their cars for a living. So it does beg the question of where Uber drivers and gardeners and people who drive around the city to clean houses are going to park their cars if we're not building parking anywhere. Um, so that's a tension that we struggle with. How do you try to get at that? Just through research or different um, parts of the city where you might be serving a, a certain type of tenant? Yeah. Well, I can't tell you that this was this is the the magic approach, but one uh, we we make compromises. Um, a, an example of that is a building that we're about to open in the university district. When the un, the new university light rail station opens, it will be just a couple of blocks from that light rail station. But as uh, I was saying before, you know, light rail doesn't go to your kid's elementary school and it doesn't take care of people who are using their cars uh, to make a living. So we made a decision to uh, create, we didn't have to build parking in this particular building, um, but we made a decision to build enough stalls to equal the number of two and three bedroom units that we would have there. Um, and the thinking there was that families with children might have more demand for use of cars than um, single adults or couples who would be more likely to live in the smaller units. So we matched the number of parking stalls with the family-sized units. That was one approach. It was sort of an, ex it's an experiment. We haven't done that before, um, and we'll see how that kind of works out in the, in the long run. So one uh, part of the city's uh, proposal that they're that they are voting on today is uh, letting building owners sell unused spaces if they, you know, let's say if, if they have tenants who aren't using them. Is that anything that, that Bellwether would be interested in doing? I would say that right now we don't have a lot of excess parking. Uh, I imagine that over time as our dependence on cars changes, we do have parking in many of our buildings, and the, the demand for parking may change. Uh, and as that does, and there are uh, other ways to deploy that parking, maybe leasing to third parties, we would definitely take advantage of that. I don't see it being an immediate source of cash for the organization. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Susan. Sure. Susan Boyd, CEO of Bellwether Housing. The Sound is a production of King 5 Media in Seattle, Washington. I'm Ryan Takeo. This is The Sound.